Let us pray. O oh God, you have given us your word for a light to shine upon our paths. Grant us so to mediate and meditate on that word and to follow its teachings that we may find in the light that shines more and more until that perfect day through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This morning's Old Testament reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. Listen for the word of the Lord. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hands, Moses did not know that his skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what, he had, been, what had been commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining, and Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went to speak to, with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. Listen again to God's word for us. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became bright as light. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will set up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, the beloved with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome with fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, and do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Gracious Lord, the preaching of your word, with the blessing of your spirit, grant that insofar as it is true to your everlasting goodness, it shall be undergirded by your power and by your love. Grant that insofar as it is false, it shall be swiftly forgotten and do no harm. Above all, God, grant that this sermon and our whole worship service may grow us in your love and our love for one another. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Just before our passage in Matthew today, Jesus had been trying to explain to his disciples that despite all he had been doing, healing, teaching with authority, proclaiming the coming kingdom of God, He must now go to Jerusalem to suffer at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed, that he would be raised on the third day, but that his death was central to his role as Messiah, giving his life as a ransom for many. In the words of Isaiah 53, bearing our infirmities, carrying our diseases, being wounded for our transgressions, healing us by his bruises, bearing the sins of us all. The disciples did not take this message well. Peter even pulled Jesus aside to rebuke him, saying, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. To which Jesus replied amazingly, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have your mind on the concerns of God, but on merely human concerns. Now, it was six days after this moment of tension and the disciples' confusion around Jesus' role as Messiah that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a high mountain, off by themselves. Now, mountains are already places of great beauty and transcendence with the vast, sweeping views of God's creation that they afford Jesus often went up mountains to pray, and they play a key role for others in Scripture, too. But on this mountain, in this moment, something additionally marvelous happened. Jesus' clothes and face started glowing, radiant like the sun. Jesus had proclaimed, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But here he was, not just metaphorically shining, but literally beaming rays of light from his presence. I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard the word bioluminescence. It's one of my favorite words. But it means light that shines from living organisms. And the most well-known example probably is a firefly or a lightning bug. A warm summer night, a light with lightning bugs is an amazing thing especially if you're around little kids running, laughing, with all due abandon amid these twinkling wonders. But in this moment on this mountaintop with Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, it was more than fireflies afoot. Jesus himself had become bioluminescence personified, bioluminescence gone wild. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright interprets this moment closely with the teaching Jesus had just been giving his disciples about being the Messiah. N.T. Wright declares about this moment, quote, Jesus' transfiguration, 
is a sign of Jesus being entirely caught up with, bathed in the love, the power, the kingdom of God, so that it transforms his whole being with light in the way that music transforms words that are sung. This is the sign that Jesus is not just indulging in fantasies about God's kingdom, but that he is speaking and doing the truth. It's the sign that he is indeed the true prophet, the true Messiah. End quote. But Jesus lighting up the mountain is not all that Peter, John, and James saw that day. Before they knew it, they also saw Elijah and Moses standing with Jesus, talking with him. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? I don't know. Maybe Jesus greeted them, but something in their conversation made it clear enough. And I also wonder, was it Moses and Elijah in the flesh, or a vision of Jesus with them that these three disciples were collectively seeing? Either way, Peter, James, and John saw and heard Jesus, Moses, and Elijah together talking on that mountain in that moment in a way that these three disciples would later recount to others once Jesus had been raised from the dead. Now, many folks understand the presence of Moses and Elijah as representing the law and the prophets, the law calling for the love of God and neighbor as oneself, and the prophets calling for people to repent and return to that love of God and neighbor as oneself. Jesus standing with Moses and Elijah makes a lot of sense in this vein, given that Jesus is the fulfillment of that law and that prophetic call as the way, the truth, and the life through which the law will ultimately be written on our hearts, as Jeremiah wrote of God's messianic promise, quote, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall they teach one another to say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Jesus is the one through whom this new covenant of the law being written on our hearts was unfolding. But this vision of Jesus alight alongside Moses and Elijah is not all that happened that day. If you can believe it or not, there's more. Peter, James, and John also soon found themselves enveloped in a bright cloud and heard a voice declare, This is my son, beloved with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And it's here that we have to hit another key reason for Moses and Elijah to appear with Jesus in this moment on this mountain. Because Moses and Elijah themselves, each respectively, had their own powerful mountaintop experience with God. In 1 Kings 19, it recounts the time that the prophet Elijah was on the run for his life. And God led Elijah to go and stand on the mountain in the presence, the face of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And as we know, Elijah famously saw, heard, and felt first a roaring, violent wind. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then Elijah felt this shaking earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then Elijah saw this raging fire, but God was not in the fire. And then finally, God came to Elijah 
with a gentle whisper, a still, small voice that was calling Elijah himself to be still and to know that God always remains our creator and our redeemer, no matter what happens in the here and now. You know, Moses had a mountaintop experience, too, in God's presence, as we know, before God's face. As we heard this morning in our Old Testament reading in Exodus 34. And that bright cloud that surrounded Peter, James, and John, Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, is that cloud of God's presence that went before the Israelites in the Exodus, that glorious pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night that led the Israelites out of slavery, out of oppression. This sign of God's presence, this thick cloud filled with thunder, lightning, fire. It also descended on Mount Sinai when God came to give the law, the covenant, that taught the life-giving ways of God. And it's as Moses was prayerfully receiving the covenant that he spoke to God face to face on that mountaintop. As Exodus 33:11 movingly reads, the Lord used to talk to Moses face to face as one talks to a friend. And then Moses, when he would come out from speaking prayerfully in conversation with God like this, his face was glowing. And Moses wouldn't even know it at first. Exodus 34, 29 reads, Moses didn't know that the skin on his face shone because he'd been talking with God. That's such an incredible description of the power of prayerful conversation with our Creator. And I imagine many folks have experienced a time when they sat in meditation with God, maybe over a passage of scripture, maybe in silence, maybe praying through their life, the life of their loved ones, the lives of their neighbors near and far. And they came out of that prayerful time of conversation with God with a refreshed, peaceful, joyful, radiant, dare we say, bioluminescent expression on their face. And if you haven't had that kind of experience, I know you have had times where you've experienced God's shining face, whether you realized it or not. Because God's, God's shining face is really another way of saying God's presence, the movement of God's spirit, of God's blessing in this world, in our lives. Psalm 67 hints on this connection between God's face and God's blessing when it describes and declares May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that our way, that your way, Lord, may be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. Likewise, Psalm 89, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, God. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Happy are the people who have learned to praise you, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. And we know, too, that ancient benediction and blessing from number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So sisters and brothers in Christ, where do you see God's face shining in your life? Because for my two cents, Jesus' shining face is not something limited to that moment 2,000 years ago with Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John on that mountaintop in that moment. I think if we have but eyes to see, we can prayerfully 
see God's shining face, God's presence around us, both in our own major mountaintop moments, as well as in the ordinary illuminations of our everyday lives. Now, those mountaintop moments in our lives might be what tend to come to mind when we think about seeing God's face, and they're wonderful. For instance, when I held my oldest son, Eason, for the first time, and then later, uh, four and a half years later, my youngest son, Asher, those were each mountaintop moments in my life in which I suddenly had unimaginable gratitude for everything that my parents had ever done for me, I had awe at the wonderfully, fearfully made little children that God had now placed in my care. And I also had this immense sense of vulnerability and this distinct feeling that my heart had officially now leapt out of my body and resided out and about in the world having sprouted legs that would soon be crawling, walking, running around, uh, doing Lord knows what, Lord knows where. Another mountaintop moment in my life came on a trip to Mount St. Michel uh, in Normandy, France. As some of you probably know, Mount St. Michel is a monastery over a millennia old, millennium old, that sits on a steep hill out in a tidal island with this little, on this little outcropping of land uh, in the middle of the incoming tide. I was there with Jess and her parents and her siblings, uh, and as the sun was setting on that particular day, we were climbing up and up, step after step, room after room of this gorgeous monastery until we ended up in this expansive sanctuary at the top where there was this marvelous harmony of divine architecture of the views around us and the image-bearing architecture of the monastery itself. And the sanctuary even opened up onto an area where you could walk out and see the ocean and a fiery sunset, God's shining face of purple, red, orange streaks descending amid the cool blues and blacks of the oncoming night. In moments like those, it's hard to do much more than to soak it in as best you can, hoping that it might just stay in your bones forever. I imagine we have each had these kinds of mountaintop moments, whether with family or friends, whether with work or school or play, whether it's in places you've experienced things that just pull you up short with their beauty. God's shining face, God's creative movement in this world. I think it's equally important, though, to name the ordinary, everyday illuminations of God's light in our lives, too. And when I think about God's shining face in ordinary, everyday life, there are four places that commonly jump to mind. They're work, play, rest, and relationships. When I'm able to work, constructively on a project that I know is going to be useful to somebody else, that enlists and engages gifts and talents that I've got to offer. This is a blessing. This is God's shining face and the gift of constructive work. When I'm able to go for a run or take some time to play the piano or enjoy a board game or building Legos with Ethan and Asher, this is God's shining face, God's blessing in the gift of play and family. 
when I can catch a night's sleep, sheltered in a bed at night. This is God's shining face, God's blessing in the gift of rest. And when I can see God at work, growing slowly but surely, fruits of the Spirit in my relationships with God, with myself, with those around me, making me more patient or forgiving, for instance, I can see God's shining face, God's presence and blessing. And I have to say, along these lines, there's this incredibly beautiful moment in Genesis 33, too. It's admittedly a bit more of a mountaintop moment, but it's when Jacob was returning home decades after stealing his father Isaac's blessing and the family birthright from his brother Esau, a sin for which Esau was ready to kill Jacob, spurring Jacob to flee 20 years prior. And when Jacob was coming home, he was rightly worried that his brother might still want to kill him. And while we don't have time to delve into the details, suffice it to say that instead of meeting Jacob with violence and vengeance, Esau met Jacob with a forgiving, loving embrace, just as Jacob met Esau with repentance in word and in deed. Genesis 33, 4 reads, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. And Jacob said to his brother, uh, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Reconciliation, uh, the saving, redeeming, gracious movement of God's spirit, that's the shining face of God too. And it's the kind of bioluminescent love from which and for which we and this entire universe were made and redeemed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as Jesus proclaimed in the Sermon on the Mount and Pastor Calvin preached about a few weeks ago, this is also the kind of light of God that we're called to let shine in our lives so that people can see those good works and give glory to God, so that people might learn and see and fall in love with the good God who made us all. So to close, sisters and brothers, I ask you, I encourage you to take time today and each day to make a list, to write down the ways in which you see God's shining face in your life, your mountaintop moments and your ordinary illumination moments. And it's important to note that God's shining face is also something that is with us, not only in those times of clear blessing, but also in those times of loss, injury, illness, death. Also in those times when we honestly feel God's absence and the hardship we face or this, that we see others facing more than we might even feel God's presence. But the love and the care and the compassion that we can show one another are ways that we can feel God's shining face even amid such sorrows. And the ways that we can pursue justice together and a more perfect union where everybody can grow their God-given gifts and talents in concert and community with one another. This is a way in which we can feel and see God's shining face even amid terrible losses or injustices. 
And of course, we see God's shining face as well in the hope of the resurrection to come, when God's brilliance will shine unshadowed by sin and death, when every tear is wiped away, every wrong made right, and we're, we're all raised aglow, radiant, with the love of God and neighbors as ourselves. So make those lists of where you see God's face shining in your life, the ordinary ways and the mountaintop ways. And if you find that you're having trouble making that list of ways you see God's shining face in your own life, whether it's in the past or it's in the present, reach out to me. Reach out to Pastor Joanna, Pastor Calvin. Reach out to a ruling elder or a deacon. The ordination and installation of new officers today is also definitely a place in which we see God's shining face. But reach out. Let's talk about it. Let's grow in the love of God together in community with one another. Because the more that we can name God's presence in our own lives, the more that we can narrate our own lives theologically, the more that we can help other people to do so as well. And the more that we can grow in the light of God's presence unto God's radiant kingdom come. To God be the glory, brothers and sisters, forever and ever. Amen.